Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. So Marla had a little bit of tech problem. So sometimes in this interview, you can hear her cut out a little bit. But the major just and major awesome pieces of this interview are there. But I just wanted to warn you that there might be times where you hear her cut out a little bit. But I hope you will tune in and Really listen to Marla's story because it's pretty phenomenal how she has gone from being homeless to now being this amazing entrepreneur that is giving back. So I hope you'll tune in. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review so people know where to find us and how awesome the Inspired Women podcast is. All right, have a great day and enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Marla. Marla Bautista is an army wife and and mother of three. She is a published author of My Thoughts Abandoned, released in January 2017. Where can people get that? People can actually find my book on Google. Um, it is it has been published um, all over. It's actually an ebook, so you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Just Google it. Okay, awesome. And I will Google it and link it in the show notes so everybody can get, and get a look at that. I know sometimes people awesome. will be like, "I'm published," and it's only available on their website. Sometimes you know it's available on Amazon. I always like to ask. Uh, She's also a freelance writer and blogger. Or Marla has written guest contribution blogs for multiple companies, including Military Crash Pad, Sleeping Baby, Soldier's Wife, Crazy Life, and Army Wife 101. She's an avid volunteer. Marla is also the co-founder of the Bautista Project, a custom decor and apparel company, which uses a percentage of their profits to provide for homeless communities. So your nonprofit provides for homeless communities, which kind of links a little bit to your story. Share a little yeah. bit about it. Like, let's take us back, take us back to uh, years ago and what you went through. Okay. Well, I'm Marla, everyone. Hi, I hope everyone's doing well. Um, I just want to share a little bit about myself and about my story. Um, I came from kind of a harsh background, if you would say so. Um, I lost both parents prior to me becoming 10 years old. Uh, my father died in 1989 and my mother died when I was young breast cancer. Um, I was left with my stepfather and um, two of my siblings. So our upbringing was really difficult. Um, if you've ever heard the the stories of the stepdad life, you know, um, they're not always great. So um, I did suffer from um, abusive situations um, in my past. And when I was 18 years old, I was kicked out onto the streets. Um, I wasn't aware that I was kicked out of my home until uh, my best friend, I had talked to her and she asked me if I was moving 
And I said, no. And she said, oh, I didn't know if you were moving because I saw all these big black trash bags outside of your house. And I saw your teddy bear sitting on one of the trash bags, which I have this teddy bear named Cookie. And he was giving to my mother at her baby shower uh, 36, 37 years ago. Um, And so that is like my pride and joy. I still have that teddy bear to this day. That's the only thing I have from my childhood. And so when I heard that, I I didn't realize what was happening. Um, I was an adult. I was 18. And so I was out on the streets. I became homeless. Um, I lived in motels. And I, I actually had a job uh, when I became homeless. I still had a job, um, but I didn't have any transportation or anywhere to live. So it was really hard for me to get to work. Um, I ended up in an abusive relationship with a guy I met um, on the street. And that made even a worse situation for me um, because there was a lot of domestic violence. Um, happening and I could, I could no longer work. Um, you know, like if you ever go to work and you, you have to go to the doctor, you get a doctor's note for that day. Um, but it doesn't cover the black eyes that you have the next day or the next day after that. So unfortunately I wasn't um, able to keep my job. Um, it was a really difficult situation for me. So I ended up living on the streets, um, just moving from place to place, shelter to shelter, um, just trying to make it. And that was a couple of years of my life. Yeah. So people, people might have misconceptions what it's like to live in a shelter. Can you like, tell us a little bit more what, what, uh, what it's like to live in a shelter, what that entails, um, what are the requirements, that sort of thing. Because I personally have never known anybody that's had to live in a shelter. I was in a domestic violence situation as well um, before I met and married my husband now. And I had family that fortunately took me in when I left that abusive relationship. Um, but I've always thought like, what if they weren't around or what if they ha- wouldn't take me in? Where would I be? And, you know, I don't know what a shelter is like. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I can. There are a lot of different types of shelters out there. Um, some are specifically geared towards women. Some are specifically geared towards women and children. Others are specifically geared towards males. Um, and some are encompassed of all of that. Um, the shelters that I usually stayed in were uh, women's homes or um, women and children's um, domestic violence homes or victims assistance centers. Um, those type of shelters, um, unfortunately, a lot of them have time limits, time constraints uh, where you're available to stay. Some of them will let you stay 72 hours. Some shelters will let you stay as long as you are um, under underemployed or you're, you're looking for employment, um, you're able to stay there. Um, a lot of the shelter living is, it's really hard. It's not um, an easy thing to do. Um, luckily, luckily for me, um, as a teenager, I wasn't um, pregnant. I didn't have a child. So things were, I would say, a little easier for me. Um, but staying in a shelter was definitely a situation and an experience that I could have never imagined. Um, you were in a home with, 20 or so other women, um, 
rooms full of bunk beds. And some of these women had children where they slept, you know, in one bed with their children. Um, and, you know, there was no security. There was no, you know, property security, personal security. Everything was just open. And unfortunately, because of the different backgrounds so many people come from, um, we all live differently. What you may value, someone else may not. Um, and so that was that was really hard for me as a young teenager coming from a somewhat stable environment. Um, I mean, the situation I grew up in wasn't great, but it was stable. And so um, it kind of made it difficult for me. I There was a lot of um, drug abusers there and a lot of women who who were often undereducated. And it was really hard for me to be there to see that because I always felt that I was different. Um, I ended up in a lot of but I was always able to, with a little bit of guidance, get away from those situations or get through those situations. And a lot of the women that I've met, this was their life. This is how they lived for 10 years, 20 years of their life, you know, going from shelter to shelter, having child after child and not being able to ever, you know, have a stable moment or be financially secure ever. And so that was hard for me to see as a young woman on the street. Um, I, I constantly went you know, looking for jobs every day, um, but without transportation, without a mode of communication, no phone, you know, no car, no money to even catch, you know, a ride on a bus. It, it was really a difficult situation. So you were in this situation and how did you manage to not become one of those women? Like what, what sort of tools, resources, you know, you, it's a mindset, right? Like we see this with people who are generations on the welfare system. Yes. We see this with women that's like you mentioned who are, stay on and off in homeless shelters for generation or like not generation, we're centuries, right? <laughs> in, uh, or decades, I should say, is it's this victim mindset, this victim mentality that they can't kick. Like they, they think they deserve it. They think this is what life is. They don't see an, a way out. Well, how did you find a way out of this? Um, I think a lot of it was education and knowing that there is something different on the other side. And I've seen different things. A lot of women, um, a lot of people, not just women in general, um, they are taught to live a certain way um, generationally. And so they don't know anything different. They do think that this is what it's like, but I've had enough, you know, I've been fortunate enough in my life to um, have been in certain programs because I, I often, um, you know, there was programs in schools for like single parent homes and all that stuff. Well, those, those programs like a boys and girls club or um, Denver kids or all in all of these programs, they helped me to know that you can have a bank account. We're going to, teach you how to have a checking account. We're going to teach you how to take care of your, your physical body. Um, there's a lot of programs out there like that. Um, but you have to be willing to go get into those programs. There's a lot of clinics out there that offer classes for things like that. And a lot of people don't 
go to those things because they don't know how. They think it's going to be too difficult for them. And all you have to do is walk through the door. Um, if you ask for help and you actually want the help, there are so many programs and people that are willing to reach out their hand and help you. In my particular situation, it wasn't that I didn't become what they were. It took a while for me to come out of that life. It took, it wasn't overnight. It did take years, but I, ha I was determined not to let this continue. I was determined to become something greater than what I was, um, whether that was with the help of others or not. And luckily for me, there was people along my path that saw the difference in me and saw that I was willing to learn. I was willing to be guided um, in those proper directions to get back on the right path in my life. And there was people that took chances on me. Um, there were a lot of people that also didn't. There were so many times where people said, you know, I wish I could help you, but, you know, unfortunately, we, we just, you know, we don't want to take a risk. And, you know, there were times where people, you know, would say, you know what, I'm going to give you this job. I know you don't have a car. I know you don't have a phone, but I'm, I'm going to take this chance on you and we'll see where that goes. Um, and a lot of times for me, certain situations, it didn't work out. I was on the streets in Denver, Colorado. The weather isn't great in the wintertime right. to get around. And so when you take that into account, also not having a stable place to live, that it's a little bit more pressure on your life. Um, it gets a little harder to eat. It gets a little, you know, harder to live out there on your own. During the warmer months, of course, it's easier to be homeless. And I hate to say easier, but because of the weather, because there's so many missions out there that are feeding homeless people when it's warmer or sheltering them, you know, it's, it's a lot more you can do um, in the summertime. But in the winter, it's really hard. I used to go and eat at churches, local churches. They'd serve lunch at the Catholic Church um, down in downtown Denver. They would serve lunch there and, you know, hand out hygiene bags. Um, and that was something that I partake in every day. I would go eat lunch there. If that was my one meal for the day, you know, that's what I did. And it, it was an unfortunate situation, but I learned so much and it, it helped where I am today. And that's why with our company, the Bautista Project, I personally give back to the communities. I don't donate money to shelters or to the charities. I personally take the money that I made for my profits. I turn that into products, food, shelter, blankets, everything that I know I need it back in and I take it directly back to the streets and I give it back to those people that are out there today. So where was the turning point? What or when, when and where and how did the turning point happen for you? Was there a certain thing specifically that it like helped launch you into now being off the streets, now not having this food scarcity, you know, now, you know, feeling you know, stable and secure and that you, that you had these things that you were lacking when you were homeless. Like you didn't know where your next meal was coming from or where you're going to be staying. Or like you said, you're in the middle of Denver and it's winter time and you're freezing your ass off because 
you don't have that, that warmth. So where, when did that happen? Well, I actually ended up going to jail. I went to jail. I got, um, a charge for police interference. I had a boyfriend like I spoke about, um, I was in a domestic violence situation and the police were called and um, they were told that he had a gun um, and we were in a motel room and the police uh, ensued to beating him. Um, Pretty much, I freaked out. I probably screamed every word you can think. I cried. I was afraid. Um, I wasn't hurt by them. Um, but I watched him almost lose his life. And I was very afraid. Um, and I didn't know it was illegal yell at the police right <laughs> and so I got what was a police interference charge uh, which actually landed me in jail for three or four days um, and at that moment I realized this is not it's not who I am I the guy I was with I didn't want to be with him but I didn't know anything else because I felt so crazy but it's like, because you feel safe, even though you're not safe. Yeah, like I understand. Some, something familiar. So you were, it was easier to do something familiar than it was to go do something different. Mm -hmm. And so he was the only person out there on the streets that I knew. And so, you know, I trusted him. Um, and I, that sounds crazy because that is like the domestic violence, the abused woman. Yeah, I know I was there. Yeah. Um, and so, but that's what it was. I'm, I'm not gonna lie about it, that's what it was. And it, at that moment, I just, I, so he got, he got beat up. Um, he went to jail, I went to jail. He was alive, I saw him. Um, when we were taken to jail, we were pulled out of the cars and they were dragging him like past the booking cell where I was. And I was like, so in shock. I didn't even realize what happened. Where was I? How did I get here? This is not me. This is not who I am. And I couldn't. I was like, I don't know. There was nowhere I could go. I couldn't go to family. I didn't have family there. I was originally from California. My family wasn't in Denver. I didn't have anywhere to stay. I wasn't going back to an abusive parent. I, I was out here. I was out here alone, and I needed something different. And, you know, I got my life together after that. Um, I got odds and end jobs here and there. Um, some were pretty crappy jobs. I used to be a waitress at a truck stop. Which this was way back in the day. So yeah. truck stops are, I don't know how they are now, but 
I don't know. I'm not much younger than you, so I understand where you're going yeah. with this. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so. used to be really like sleazy and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was definitely a hard job. I made about two dollars an hour, and the tips were horrible. Um, but you know, it was something that helped me get out of my life. Job, it worked. It was decent. Um, the pay was not great. The customers. Hey, it was life. So, you know, I did what I had to do and I, I made my way back into reality as I call it. Um, and I kind of went on from there and I actually went for a job interview at a hotel, um, where I, uh, wanted to waitress at, and it was a nicer, um, upscale restaurant in the hotel. Um, and I definitely wanted to get out of the truck stop waitressing business. So <laughs> I went to uh, interview there and I got the job immediately. Yay. No issues. Um, the manager hired me immediately. And then I got a call the next day and uh, the general manager uh, let her know that I could not be hired there. Why? Because I had a back. And I was hurt. I was like, well, you don't know me. Like, you don't know me at all. Um, they were like, well, you know, we just don't hire. And I was like, well, like what, you know? And so that was kind of like, my first, you know, like after trying to get my life together, scratching from the concrete up trying to get my life together you know I'm getting kicked back down I felt you know and so I was like begging I honestly I just need this job I just need to get a better job I, I promise you you will never have an issue with me nothing will ever happen with me and I actually ended up working there I was um, internally promoted to an executive administrative assistant there. Yeah. And so it was a really great job for me. And I'm just so grateful that those people took a chance on me. Even though originally they weren't willing to do that, they took a chance on me. And I was able to prove that, you know, not because everyone has a background, they're bad people or that they, you know, their whole life is you know, horrible or, or whatever people think about like that. I'm not sure. I always say, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. But I can say that in in all fairness and in all authenticity to say, if you look at me today and I told you the story, you would never believe me. Right. Most people would never believe what I would mean. Um, and so you shouldn't judge a book by its cover because you don't know until you open the book and read it, what story lies within, um, and what the ending is like. And honestly, I still don't know what the ending is like. Right, I have still living it. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't written my obituary yet. Not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I tell people that all the time. They see me and they're like, oh, you're doing so well. And then they find out like, I was a teen mom. I was a victim of domestic abuse. I have a misdemeanor and a DWI under my belt. Like all of these things, I dropped out of, or I failed out of uh, my 
my first time in college. Like mm-hmm. all of these things they find out and they, those things that like people judge you on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but you didn't know any of that when you first met me and you thought I was right. an awesome person. Like being a teen mom doesn't change me. Being a domestic violence survivor doesn't change me. You know, uh, having an arrest record does not change me. Right. Um, if anything, it makes me and you stronger. We have some we have some life skills, you know, that other people don't have that we can be like, you know what? Shit happens sometimes. Really bad shit happens. Um, But we can bounce back from it, right? You bounce back from it because you are willing to say, I'm not giving up. I'm going to go. And even if it's at a, you know, sleazy truck stop making $2 and 50 cents an hour plus tips, I'm going to do it. And then not And what I love about what you shared is, you, prove, you, you don't need to give up because like when they told you like, we're not hiring you because you have a record, you were like, I, I'm a hard worker. Let me prove it to you, blah, blah. You didn't just take it and be yes. like, oh, okay. And walk away. You were like, no, take a chance on me. I'll prove it to you. And you did. I mean, they promoted yeah. you, all of these things. Yes. So now, now you're doing big things with, in, in, in giving back. So how did that how did that happen? Like, how did it go from like, you're working at this hotel and you moved yourself up to now you're able to give back to the, the people who are going through the same thing you were. Yes, definitely. Well, I always told myself, um, if I was ever in that position, um, to give back that I always would wholeheartedly, I would give back, um, the same way that I was given to, not just in materialistic things, so in guidance and in love, and to nurture those people because yeah there's a lot of people out there who are disabled who can't work or who just don't care about life but there are some people out there that have just fell on hard times and they just need a little help and if you are the person that is willing to help them you can change their life you can change their life and a lot of people don't want to you know go far enough to to change someone's life Mm-hmm. But every single person that I meet, I change their life. And I do that by just just being honest, just being authentic. And also, I'm here for you. If you just want to talk, I'm here for you. You know, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't often share my story um, really at all um, because there are a lot of jokes. And they won't give you a chance to, to be who you really are because they think about what you told them or who you could be or what they imagine you to be. And that's not fair. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I don't know if you have an answer to this. I, it popped in my head while you were talking because I was going to say the one thing I, I missed when I was telling telling little pieces people judge me, I was on welfare when I um, when I graduated high or graduated high school and was in college, so there's a single mom, I was working full time. Like, and one of the questions I've heard people ask before is why are these people in shelters not getting help from the welfare system? And I have a theory, but I don't know if you have confirmation for my theory. What's your theory? My theory is, is because they don't have a residency that they can claim to get the, the help because I know when I was in the welfare system, you had to fill out, this is my mailing address. This is where I live. You know, you had to you have proof of certain things. And if you don't have an address or a place, you don't have those things. 
Right. Well, there is um, in Denver. So there's an option where if you're completely homeless, there are certain um, benefits you can receive. Now, I can't speak for today specifically, but back then there were certain uh, I used to get $19 in food stamps a month. Um, which, believe me, I can stretch nineteen dollars. Nineteen dollars, like nineteen dollars a month. I didn't, I didn't have a child. I didn't have anyone else. It was just me. So I got nineteen dollars a month. So I ate a lot of ramen noodles and hot dogs, yeah. um, and I drank a and lot of soup. water. And <laughs> so, but, you know, I survived. Um, they, when you're going to fill out paperwork, um, to welfare benefits or SNAP benefits, um, you are required to provide proof of residency. Even if you don't have a job, they want a letter from the person you live with saying that you live with them and that you are not paying them any rent. Um, But then sometimes they even go as far as saying, well, what is that person's income? Yeah, no, I know. And how is that going to help me? You know, and a lot of people don't see that. Um, People have this kind of negative connotation about, you know, receiving Section 8 or SNAP benefits or welfare, and they think, oh, well, you're just abusing the system. Mm. Well, there's not really a lot out there. Um, And there are some people that do abuse the system, but there are some people that actually need help, Mm -hmm. that actually need help. I used to go there was a clinic called South Street Clinic um, in Denver. It was a homeless clinic, and we could go there with no ID. Um, and they had an optometrist there. Um, we can get uh, mental health uh, care there and physical medical care there. So I used to go there and shout out to Starbucks. So Starbucks donates their old or day old uh, products to places like South Street Clinic. Really? So every morning, every morning, awesome. we used to get all the Starbucks bagels and uh, things from the day before. So I was bright and early. We had a stand in line at seven in the morning. South Street opened at nine. No matter what time of year it was, you needed to be there at seven or you were not getting in. They only took a certain number of people. Um, and if you wanted to see a doctor or, you know, I need glasses. I need, I have to wear glasses. So if you wanted to see a doctor or a dentist or anything, um, you needed to be there at seven and stand in line outside until they open. And so I would stand in line outside for hours. Um, and then we go in and there was bagels there and stuff that we could eat while we waited, um, to see the doctor. And that's where I would go and get my checkups. Um, and I, I was on birth control. I stayed on birth control. Um, I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but I was uh, I mean, I don't want to have babies. What's the other option? Because you know, counting right. your periods are not going to, it doesn't work for everybody. Right. Your period's not regular. It's not going to work for you. Well, and I mean, being homeless, that's one thing I didn't want to do. Like, right. you know, whether I'm having sex or not, I didn't, you know, I couldn't take care of another person. Right. Um, and so South Street Clinic did provide that for us. Um, and they also provided like um, community resources like bus tokens, um, sometimes hotel vouchers. Um, and so we would go there in the morning. All the people would go and we stand in line and, and hope to get benefits that day. Um, but that was that was like a huge part of my life. And just seeing that, seeing organizations like that, that directly gave back to homeless communities really 
touched me for all of my life. I will never live a day without giving back. And anyone who knows me knows that about me. Um, It is so important because like I said, some people just need a little bit of help and a little bit of guidance and their whole life can change. Yes. And I love how you brought up the misconception about welfare because I get that all the time when I say to people, yes, a small percentage of people um, do live off the system. And that is because there are loopholes and the system absolutely needs to be reformed because there are far too many people that are getting benefits who do not need those benefits. Um, However, the larger percentage of people who actually need, my husband and I actually had a very heated debate about this because he's never been on welfare. He doesn't really know anybody who ever has besides me. So he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have experience with that. And he had a misconception about how it works. And I was like, listen, I had to have a job or be actively looking for a job. They gave me a timeline for how long I had to look for that job. Um, if I did not find a job in that a period of time, because at one point in time I did have a, a, a lapse between employment, mm-hmm. um, then they were going to take my benefits away. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there was, there's a lot of rules. The, the problem is there's also a lot of loopholes that people who are generations on this know the loopholes. Right. So it does need to be reformed, but it does not need to be getting rid of because like no. you never know what kind of thing's going to happen in your life. And I mean, it could be as something like you where you get kicked out of your house and now you have, you know, you don't really have a place to go. Or it could be like you lose your job, you don't have anything to fall back on, and now you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Like, right. that's that's really what it's to, to help people that really need the help, right? Absolutely. Um, so I'm so glad that you brought that up. And you were talking about giving back as well. What are different ways that people can give back? Or do you have some suggestions for anybody listening? They're like, you know what? I really want to help out um, in whatever shape, way, shape or form I can. Um, definitely. There are so many ways that you can give back to the local community. Um, there are always um, options to donate. If you don't want to physically go and volunteer, um, there are a lot of shelters that take um, donation items like domestic violence shelters, victims assistance centers. Um, they take clothing items. Sometimes they'll take food items. Um, that's a great way to give back. The smallest thing, um, if you don't realize, especially in a victims assistance center like a domestic violence shelter, underwear, socks, mm-hmm. and pajamas are necessities that we don't think about every day. Yeah. I have a thousand pair of underwear right now. <laughs> right, um, me too. I don't even think about not having a pair of underwear. But there are a lot of women that don't have their children don't even have a clean pair of underwear to wear. So think about that. Um, when you're holiday shopping or you're at Walmart, grab an extra pair of underwear or an extra pack and or an extra pack of socks even to a local shelter. Um, There's also, if you've ever heard of volunteermatch.org, or you can actually go online and you can type your volunteer interest into a search engine and it will populate results for volunteer opportunities in your local area. And so that's a great way if you don't know what's out there, if you have SPCAs, if you have you know, domestic violence shelters, regular homeless shelters, halfway houses, all of those things encompassed um, are on volunteermatch.org. And those are places where you can go spend a little bit of time and give back to your community. Yes. And actually the podcast, the Inspired Women podcast, 
for October is um, partnering with Samaritan House, uh, which is a local shelter here. Um, they do more than just shelter. They provide services for domestic abuse survivors and children and uh, sexual assault and um, uh, what is it, the human trafficking victims. So they do all oh. of that. Mm -hmm. And anybody listening knows that because uh, I, I, I preach all the time, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And every Friday during October, I have been, um, by the time people hear this, they will all have aired, but I am talking about a different form of domestic abuse, or not domestic abuse, abuse period, on the podcast episodes. So people listening might be like, shit, I am in a, an abusive relationship. I just thought that if he didn't hit me, then I wasn't abusive. But there's so many others, like financial abuse, there's sexual abuse, there's emotional, verbal, psychological abuse. Um, so the thing about these shelters is people don't realize is when a woman and even with her children is leaving a domestic violence situation, they're probably leaving with nothing. You mm -hmm. really don't have the time to pack up your shit and leave. Right. And in my situation, I did because I had family, but I wasn't able to pack up everything. I went back to get my stuff a couple weeks later and my ex had destroyed half of my things. Exactly. Like, he allowed our, our dog at the time to pee and poop all over this quilt my grandfather had made of my daughter. Oh um, my like all of this stuff that he had like completely destroyed in his rage of me leaving that mm. people don't realize like even if women can go back and get their stuff, their stuff may not even be there because right. the guy or woman, domestic violence can be men and women, right. um, has now destroyed all of your things or you're too fearful to go back because now they might find you and you don't know what's going to happen if they find you. Right. Right. Or you don't have anywhere to take your stuff. Like in my situation, right. what could I do with it? I didn't have a car. I didn't have a place to stay. I, I could only take what I could take. Yeah. What you could carry. Yeah. And my teddy bear was one of those things. Well, I'm glad you held on to that. That's amazing that that teddy bear made all of this transition from these places. Like, yes. I'm super impressed right now that, that yes. you were able to, if, if anything, that was the only thing you held on to, but you were able to yep. carry that from place to place. So as we wrap up the podcast, first I have a question. Can people donate to your organization directly? Um, if they actually wanted to donate, we won't take their money. They can always purchase products with us. But okay. if they wanted to donate items, um, we actually take military, old military uniforms, and we transform them into blankets and pillows for the homeless community. Um, they can always mail those to our P.O. Box um, here in Fort Drum, New York. P.O. Box 1073, Fort Drum, New York, 13602. And we take those old and create pillows and blankets and we take them to shelters um, and we give them out to children <coughs> who are homeless and adults as well. Where I'm from originally is only an hour from Fort Drum. Oh, hour north. Canada? Yeah, like Canada. No, <laughs> pretty close. Um, I actually went to college in Potsdam. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yes. Um, but I'm actually from a really small town that's 30 minutes east of Potsdam. But oh, yes, okay. I'm from Canada, pretty much. Yes. I tell people that. People are like, where in New York? I'm like, Canada? Yeah, it's way it's out Canada. there, the top. But yeah. yeah, so Fort Trump is, yeah, I used to drive through there all the time as a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest city near me. Um, <laughs> if people know where Watertown is, I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, keep going. Yeah. 
that's where I'm at. I'm out in Watertown, which everybody's like, New York City. I'm like, yeah, no, I've never no. been in New York City ever. That's where they start when I tell them I'm from New York. And I was like, no, Buffalo, keep going. Syracuse, yeah. no. Uh, Watertown, nope, keep going. <laughs> Canada, yep, that's where I'm from, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> I'm closer to Canada than I am to Syracuse. Yes, yes, Syracuse is definitely uh, over three hours south of where I'm from. So I'm okay. tippy top. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up the podcast a second, so I got the address, uh, P.O. Box, one zero seven three Fort Drum, New York one three six zero two. Yes. Okay. What is one thing or a accumulation of things that you would like to leave the podcast audience with as we wrap up this episode? I like to leave everyone with is just to take time to get to know someone else that you don't know. Um, listen to their story. You never know how they can help you or how you can help them take a moment just to get to know someone. And that may be all the help that they need. I love that. And it's so true because we are so often quick to judge, but we really don't know what other people have been through, right? You really don't know if, if that girl you're seeing on the street is like Marla and she got kicked out of her house and now she's struggling to be able to get to work and make ends meet. And you know, it's like a, it's like a trickle down effect. Like this one thing happens and then it, it causes this other thing to happen. And then before you know it, you're in that kind of situation. Yep. So by giving back and by not judging and lending an ear and trying to be open-minded of other people, it, yes. is, it is really, really important. Marla, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. I'm going to link up all of your links in the show notes, inspiredwomenpodcast.com so everybody can connect with you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspired Women Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.